All right, good morning, everybody. <laughs> so this morning, well, I spent much time in prayer as I was asked to, uh, to do the sermon this morning, and I uh, thought the Lord leading me to go through, <coughs> excuse me, Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Many of you will recognize this as the road to Emmaus account. This is uh, one of my favorite accounts in scripture. <coughs> Excuse me, I have that dry cough that gets very annoying. Um, so this is one of my favorite accounts in scripture. Uh, I like to look in scripture for, how should I say, God's personal touch and how he interacts with people. So this morning, we'll be covering not only that, but also the aspect of seeing clearly uh, in trials. Um, life has a tendency to throw things at us, and it's not always what we expect. And a lot of times, it can make us lose focus. And so, seeing clearly is how to see things through God's perspective. Uh, see things from uh, the vantage point of Scripture, uh, using Scripture as your foundation. So Andrew read verses 1 through 12. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Make sure I don't spill that. So Andrew read through verses 1 through 12. That was just to kind of get a, give an idea of what happened before. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. He's been put in the tomb. And this is Sunday morning when, um, verses 1 through 12 is Sunday morning, when uh, the women go to the tomb. Um, you know, they see that it's empty, and they have their encounter. They go back. They tell everybody about it. Um, and John and Peter go to the tomb. They see it's empty also. Um, and so these accounts are made known to everybody in the assembly at Jerusalem. And that's not just the, the 11. There are also other disciples that were following Jesus as well. And we get to meet two of them. So in verse 13, this is that very day, which is Sunday afternoon by this time, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about these things that had happened. So put yourself in the shoes of these two disciples. Was this a particular happy time? No, it wasn't. It was, it was a rather disturbing time. They were confused. They were very upset, as a matter of fact. Uh, why were they upset? Well, their Messiah, that they had pinned their hopes on, was arrested, tried, executed, and buried. And now then, you also had these conflicting reports, or what seemed to be conflicting reports, of Jesus being alive, or at least the tomb being empty. <clears throat> so, to kind of get in their shoes a little bit, if you think about why didn't these disciples leave Jerusalem earlier? Maybe not on, you know, why didn't they leave on Friday or Saturday? Uh, why Sunday afternoon? Could it be that, you know, they were, and again, this is just kind of speculation, putting yourself in their shoes. 
Could it be that they had believed what Jesus had said about rising again on the third day? Well, this was the third day. It was the afternoon, and they hadn't seen Jesus yet. Could there be some disappointment there? A lot of times we like to put expectations on God, and that was really the point of that exercise. When life gives us pain, throws us disappointment, unexpected turns, we get heartache, when we let those things overcome us, we tend to take our eyes off Jesus. We can lash out at people. We're blind to seeing God in his hand in our lives. We don't wait for God. Satan a lot of times uses that time to tempt us, cause doubts. Uh, he, he loves to shout at you and whisper in your ear sometimes at the same time. And again, sometimes we have unrealistic views and ideas of who God is and what we think he should do. So the two, as they discussed what had happened, it wasn't a light conversation. The good part of their conversation was that they were talking about Jesus. That's always a good thing. Even when you're discouraged, even when you're at your lowest point, and they were at a pretty low point, it's always best to do two things. Don't isolate yourself. You know, find another believer and make Jesus your topic of conversation. Even if you're still frustrated and dealing with whatever you're dealing with, those two things will benefit you. <clears throat> In verse 15, it says, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So while they were busy with, his, with their thoughts, with their discussions, and they're walking on the road, and again, you know, it's seven miles of hard dirt road. It's not an easy walk. And a lot of people, when they get, you know, frustrated or they just, they need some time to think, getting out and going for a walk is a good way to do that. And so they're on their way to the town of Emmaus for whatever reason. And as they were busy doing this, Jesus himself drew near. Now, there's a few points I want to address in that verse. First, Jesus himself. That's kind of an important point because this was actually Jesus. I, I like what Andrew said this morning. Uh, when Jesus rose again, it wasn't just spirit. It, it wasn't in some other form. This was Jesus. He actually physically arose and so this was actually Jesus walking with them. But it also has a second point to it. Jesus himself, he actually personally went there. And that point will be important later. The second word is drew. So it says, Jesus himself drew near to them. <clears throat> we have a very loving and patient God. Even in our lowest points, he will pursue us. He will come after us. He will draw near to us in order to draw us to himself. And it's, it's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we have. It's because he desires that close relationship with us. It's his love for us. The other word is after he drew near, he went with them. You know, he didn't just show up 
and use his authority that he has and say, hey, stop. You guys need to turn around and go back to Jerusalem because I'm going to be showing up there pretty soon. He actually walked with them. He went with them. God meets us where, where we're at. You know, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be holy in order to interact with God. That's an amazing thing. And we are holy because of what Christ did for us. But it doesn't require us to be perfect. We don't have to pull ourselves out of, out of depression and say, okay, I will seek God now. God is constantly reaching out to us. And a lot of times he's walking with us through our hard trials. And that was the point of walking with them. As they were, it's, a, it's a very picturesque description of what life is like. As you walk down a hard road, God walks with you. <coughs> Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Uh, there's been... Uh, if you go to read a commentary on this particular verse, you'll find many different viewpoints, uh, many different discussions. Um, some are that Jesus was marred by the crucifixion, and he kept, he kept those scars, and so he was unrecognizable. Um, then there's also the aspect of when somebody is in such despair... They weren't expecting to see Jesus. They had in their minds that he was dead, that he was buried, and that it was, it was kind of over. Um, and so they were struggling with that. And they weren't expecting to see him. They should have been, but they weren't expecting to see him. And a lot of times, our when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we get distracted with life, when we begin to put our eyes on ourselves, again, it's easy to not to not see God. And so that was, that was one suggestion that, you know, they were so preoccupied with their own thoughts, with everything that was going on, that they were just unable to, uh, to see Jesus clearly. There was a quote that I read in one of the commentaries. <coughs> Excuse me. How often does Jesus come to us and we discern him not? Our paths would be less lonely and our thoughts less sad if we realized more fully and constantly our individual share in the promise, I am with you always. In any event, it was really, as it states in Scripture, it was God who prevented them from recognizing Jesus for a purpose. What was that purpose? If Jesus had just shown himself to them, if they had seen him clearly immediately, uh, they would, there would have been great elation. They would have run back to Jerusalem. It would have been kind of the event of, you know, that the ladies had at the tomb, which would have been good. But God desires a faith built upon a solid foundation, not just upon our senses, because senses can get derailed along the way. Senses can be brought into question. So let's say they had seen Jesus and he had shown himself to them and they had run back. Satan likes to make you question even what you know to, be, to believe is true. And we have to have a solid foundation to say, no, I know it's true because of this. 
not just because of what I think or what I feel or what I see, but because of this. And what was that solid foundation? As we'll read in a little bit, it was Scripture. God began to take them through Scripture to build that solid foundation of faith. Verse 17, he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. I love how God reaches out. He knew the answer. He always knows the answer. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're feeling. But he asks us, hey, what's going on? I want you to tell me. That's prayer. You go, well, why should I pray? God knows what I need anyway. It's part of our interaction with him. He wants that interaction. Tell me what you need. What's going on? So he wanted them to articulate the struggles that they were contending with. And it says, and they stood still, looking sad. Not only sad that they were with what they were dealing with, um, but just the, the sadness of you know, the absence of Jesus in their lives. But then I also read, somebody else had, had commented that there was even maybe a conviction as Jesus stood there. There's a lot of times that silent conviction that begins to happen on your heart. Verse 18, <laughs> excuse me. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here these days? His response is, is almost, in a sense, kind of snapping back. Like, where have you been? You know, are you a latecomer to Jerusalem? You know, that you, like, missed the Sabbath, you missed everything that happened? Or... You know, have you ever had experienced somebody when you're kind of not in the best mood, you get people who come up to you and they just, they want to ask a million questions or, you know, they just, they want to take your attention and it's like, you know what, what do you want, you know? Now, perhaps that wasn't necessarily his response, but a lot of times that is the response that, at least sometimes I have, when... I begin to focus on all of the things that are bothering me. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, well, what things? He didn't respond in a rebuke. Again, he could have. He's God. He didn't say, you know what? Hold up a minute. Relax. Take a step back. You need to rethink this. Instead, he said, what things? I want you to tell me. <clears throat> we have a very patient and loving Heavenly Father. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that it had, <coughs> excuse me, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. 
he's kind of, Jesus had kind of pricked the bubble. I want you to tell me what's on your heart, what's on your mind, what are you struggling with? And here they begin to pour out just kind of everything that they were struggling with. Notice how they didn't go back and just like recount the events. It wasn't just, hey, tell me the news. What, what happened? I missed it. When Jesus asked, you know, what things, it was, what's bothering you? What are you struggling with? And so they addressed the issues that they were struggling with. They considered Jesus a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They were dismayed when the rulers seized him, condemned him to death, and crucified him. They had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And, they mentioned, it's now the third day. So this kind of goes back to the first part. It's the third day. He hasn't shown up yet. All of our hopes, everything we pinned on Jesus, it just it seems to all be coming to naught. And if you, if, you know, they didn't have the New Testament. We have hindsight, in a sense. You know, we can actually look at Scripture and go, well, yeah, you know, this is, this is how things happen. But they had to really put their faith in Jesus, that he was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, and not just somebody who was a false prophet. And so when they ran into this, because their perception, their view was skewed, when they ran into Jesus being crucified, it you know, kind of undermined everything that they thought they believed. But notice, too, from these words, they express what they expected God to do. They expected God to redeem Israel. Now, he did redeem Israel, but not in the sense they th that they thought. They were expecting Jesus to cast the Romans out of Israel and to make Israel a great nation again. They were expecting Jesus to rise on the third day and triumphantly come back and do everything that they thought he was going to do. And they had unbelief when they were told that Jesus was alive again. And he said to them in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary, oh, excuse me, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now that part, oh foolish ones, you know, you'd think, well, gosh, that's kind of a, a harsh rebuke. Well, in one sense, it is a rebuke. The way it's worded, actually in the original and the original language, it's not a harsh rebuke, but it is still a rebuke. It's to get their attention. It's also to begin the groundwork. Okay. So this is what you expected. This is what you, the, these are your preconceptions of what God should do for you. And God failed you in that area. Well, let me change your perspective a little bit. That's foolish thinking. This is what happened. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus painstakingly went through some of the key scriptures in order to show that he had fulfilled prophecy, in order to explain to them, in order to lay that foundation that we had talked about. So they had faith based upon God's word, not just upon 
what they saw, heard, or expected of God, or even their own interpretation of Scripture, but of Scripture according to what God says. What patience, again. He took the time to go through all that Scripture. He walked with them the rest of the way to Emmaus. If you put yourself in their, in their shoes again, <clears throat> how awesome would it be to have God himself explain scriptures to you? That would be awesome. You would begin to develop an excitement inside. There would be something that would be, as they said, a fire would be lit. Things would begin to make sense. Dots would be connected. You would begin to change your focus. And actually, God does do that with us. As we read his scripture, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. These guys didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. As we read scripture, as we desire to know, more, uh, to know God more, and as we pray and seek him throughout the day, he does reveal himself to us. He does help us understand scripture. And he helps us understand life and even what we have to do in this life. Sometimes it is hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to know what to do uh, or how to deal with certain situations. Again, life can be like, if you've ever stood in the ocean about waist deep when the waves are coming in, it's not an easy task because if you're experiencing waves, they want to knock you over. They want to roll you around on the sand. And that's kind of the way life is. I love the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. In the verse it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and all the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turning our eyes onto Jesus, resting in Jesus, doesn't mean that life suddenly gets easy and everything's rosy and, and full of frosting. It's oftentimes quite the contrary. But when you turn your eyes onto Christ, when you seek him, when you read his word, when you say, Lord, I will surrender this situation to you. I know that you are in control. I know that you will bring about your will in my life, and you will get me through this. You are here with me now. You will get me through whatever I'm going through. It changes your perspective. It's, it becomes a heavenly perspective. And sometimes you go, you know what? This thing that I'm worried about is really not that big of a deal compared to all of eternity. Sometimes it is a big deal. And you're, God, how do I deal with this? Help me through this. And really, it's a matter of surrender. It's a matter of surrendering the moment to Christ and knowing that he is God and that he will take care of you and take care of that situation as well. It hasn't surprised him, in other words. When we get to the end of this, there's kind of a, a capstone that Jesus, uh, an event that Jesus does. And it really kind of signifies that, you know what, all this time you thought that perhaps you kind of had control of the situation. But in reality, I'm the one who had control of the situation. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. 
And Jesus acted as if he was going to go further. And they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. Again, I, I like Jesus' interaction with people. You know, he acted as if he was going to go further on. He wanted their reaction. And because it also shows that they were so connected to him, they didn't want him to leave. They didn't want to be parted from him. It was, even though they couldn't recognize him yet, their hearts were connected. And they didn't want to be parted. They enjoyed discussing the scriptures. They enjoyed God showing them scriptures. They probably could have talked forever. <clears throat> Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now on the surface, that may seem like just a regular thing. But in that culture at that time especially, it was not the guest's place to bless the food and break the bread. That was the host's job. And so really, Jesus shouldn't have been doing that. That, was, that should have kind of made them perk up a little bit, which it did. There's kind of two parts to that. So Jesus took the role of the host. Again, this was, this was kind of the point of saying, I'm the one who's been leading this whole thing. This is not just happenstance. I didn't just happen to be on the road. I purposefully came here. I am in control of everything that just happened. This did not surprise me. This was part of my plan. The other part is, today it should bring it to mind, when he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, what does that remind you of? Now, there are many instances where Jesus did that, where, let's say, he fed the, uh, the 4,000 people, and then when he fed, I think it was the 5,000, <laughs> um, he broke the bread. He blessed it, he broke the bread, and then passed it out. And so that action was definitely significant. That would have perked them up. But then also, because it's connected to the next verse, uh, many commentators speculate that they then saw the marks on his hands. Because it says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. God used that moment to lift the veils from their eyes and say, okay, this is Jesus. This is Jesus whom you've been walking with the whole time. This is Jesus whom you've been talking with the whole time. This is Jesus who's been talking to you the whole time. Can you imagine the, the moment as they suddenly realized who they had been sitting with, whom they had been talking with, whom they had been walking with? I can only compare it to brief moments that, let's say, as God lifts my eyes out of you know, me looking at myself in a particular moment, and I see that, you know what? God has been here the whole time. He's right here with me right now. 
Verse 32, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? So again, that burning was not only an excitement, an elation of having scripture uh, expounded to them and explained to them, but also there was that connection. You can't help, if you belong to Jesus, there's a connection between you and Christ. You have a love for him. And so for them, again, they didn't have the Holy Spirit and God was purposefully veiling their eyes, but their hearts were still pricking at them. There was still that moment of, there's that connection. So as they look back, they go, you know, I, I could feel it. There was, not only were we excited about the scripture and it was all making sense, but then there was something else there and now I know what it was. Verse 33. <clears throat> and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, and this is, the group, the eleven, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. And so then these two told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is quite a change <coughs> in verse 33 from the beginning verse. Do you think that they were excited, elated? I heard one commentator say, as they were headed back to Jerusalem, they were probably the <coughs> most theologically knowledgeable people on the planet at that particular moment. <laughs> they had had God explaining all of the scriptures to them. It all made sense and they were beyond excited. As noted by the fact that they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. What time of the day was it? It was evening, heading on towards night. Was that a safe time to travel? It was not a safe time to travel. Normally, under normal circumstances, you did not want to travel at night, especially on the back roads around Jerusalem and that whole area. Besides, it was a treacherous road. It was nighttime, or at least toward the evening. It certainly would be night by the time they made it back to Jerusalem. That was a long walk back. I would hasten to guess, though, that they did not drag their feet or, you know, slowly walk back to Jerusalem. I'm sure it was more of a run in one sense. They were excited. Jesus had given them hope and purpose had replaced the fear. Had their circumstances changed? Did anything around them change? Nothing changed. What changed was their belief and their perspective. Their faith had changed. <coughs> their faith in Christ had also spurred them on to share the good news. One of the things that you'll notice in the scripture, who are these two people? Well, we, heard, we learned from one of the verses, 
Uh, Cleopas was one of the individual's names. We don't know the name of the other person. But this is the first and the last time you'll ever hear of this individual. So you might ask, what was the point of this story? Why were these two mentioned? Why were they even targeted by Christ? What was the point? They could have, they could have gone on to Emmaus and wherever else they were going to go, lived their life, news would have eventually reached them, the gospel news would have reached them, they would have understood, it would have all made sense, and, you know, they would have had their faith uh, developed at that point. Why didn't that happen? Instead, we read of these two obscure individuals walking upon a road, really to a town that doesn't exist anymore, and they are met by Jesus himself personally. And not only that, he doesn't just do a quick little visit. He spends hours with them explaining the scripture, making sure that their faith is solid. They were just two ordinary people. <clears throat> One could say they weren't even important compared to you know, some of the other heroes the disciples even. You know, why, why didn't, you know, Peter have, well, he did have a, an experience later, but why didn't Jesus, like, appear to just the 11 and then let them go out and share the gospel? Really, in a sense, for those of us who belong to Christ, these two represent us. We're ordinary people. You don't have to be a hero for God to choose you to be his reach out to you and walk with you and build your faith. God had such love for you and me that while we were filthy sinners, he died for us, as scripture says. From eternity, he knew that he knew us. He knew what we were going to do And he knew what he was going to do in order to redeem us to himself. He died on that cross. If you belong to Jesus, he died on that cross specifically for you. That was not... It wasn't just a general dying on the cross. Christ died specifically for those he chose he went to that cross thinking of you. You were on his mind and his heart. And because you belong to Christ, he takes the time each day to walk through you with everything in life. He's there for you to talk to, but he's also there so you listen. That's a key component. Our God is awesome. He allows us, as we saw in the story here, he allows us to talk to him. We can complain. If you read through Psalms, I love reading through Psalms, because the psalmists, a lot of times, are talking about complaining to God, and you think, well, goodness gracious, that's like, really? Yeah, complain to God. If, you, if there's something on your heart, tell God about it. We're told in Scripture to cast all of our burdens onto him. Why? Because he cares for us. He loves us. 
God is involved in every moment of every day of our lives. And if you know Jesus, I encourage you to look for his fingerprint on your life. Spend time with him in his word and let Jesus see you clearly or help you to see clearly. And that's something I've been convicted of here lately. It's very easy for me to have so many things going on, so many distractions, so many stresses that I don't have time for what's important. <coughs> I even sometimes just give God a few minutes in the morning and that's, that's good. We need to make Christ our focus and to have that active relationship with him every day. And if you don't know Jesus or aren't sure, seek him today. When he draws near and calls you to himself, respond and surrender your heart to Christ. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to gather together and read your word. Lord, thank you for hope in you. Thank you that we get to be with you forever. Thank you, Lord, that you're always with us. Lord, thank you that you walk through each day with us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the foundation, your truth. Father, I pray that you would draw us closer to you. Fill us with your spirit. Help us, Jesus, this week to share your love and shine your light. I pray that others would see you in us, that you would help us all to see clearly, Lord, to see things from your perspective. Give us understanding and wisdom. Uh, again, speak to us and through us, Father. Can bless us this week, bless our day today. Help us, Lord, to bring you glory in all that we say, do, and think. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.